0: As we make a transition now to a message, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23, we will be looking at the entire chapter together this morning. That may cause some of you a bit of anxiety because of the length of the chapter, but rest assured, we will get through it together. As we consider the word of God this morning, let's pray. Lord, would you come and by your present Holy Spirit do what we can't do? Would you give us understanding that leads to change? Would you help us to see things that we normally don't see? Would you help us, Lord, to be Convicted in ways that we need convicting. And Lord, would you help us to repent in areas where we must repent? Father, this is your word. We need it. We need to hear it. We need to be changed by it. So now, by the present Holy Spirit, would you. Bring about that hearing and change that would bring you glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, I wonder how many of us actually find our anticipation of something greater than the thing itself. Think about that for a minute. How often we find our anticipation of something greater than its reality. That happens in many, many examples in our lives. For example, how often have you been disappointed after purchasing something only to find out that it didn't live up to all its hype? How many of you have been to a restaurant and you ordered a particular item on the menu, the picture's there, the description's there, but when it arrived in front of you for you to devour, you were a bit concerned, especially as your taste buds began engaging. It wasn't quite like the description. Or how often times this happens in people's lives where they are pursuing a particular job employment, and once they get the job, they find out very quickly that it's not quite like they anticipated. Or maybe it's a relationship. Spend hours and days and weeks and months and years pursuing a particular individual only to find out that this person isn't quite like you thought. Their hair isn't always like it looks, right? Or even deeper things. Maybe a church. Maybe you're here today and you've been coming for a little time and you're thinking, I'm looking for a good church. Churches have often not met that mark of anticipation. When we're glad you're here, but we are far from a perfect church. We will disappoint you, not intentionally. But think about that, how often our anticipation of something is enormous. It's 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 large and we crave and we look forward with, with hope and excitement only to later be discouraged and disappointed and frustrated. There are many examples in our lives when we face a discrepancy between something's appearance and something's reality. Things are not always as they appear. Sometimes that is unimportant. Sometimes it can be quite funny and comical, but other times it's very tragic. Nowhere is that more tragic and deadly than in our relationship with Jesus. Here in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus exposes the hypocrisy of the scribes and Pharisees, and he begins to confront them in their sin. Friends, listen, this is is the point I think that needs to be stated in the entirety of Matthew chapter 23, and it's this. Nothing can be more damning and destructive than a religious hypocrite. Nothing can be more tragic and impactful than... A religious hypocrite, one who professes with their mouth, but their hearts are far removed. Nothing can be more destructive to our individual relationships or our corporate testimony than for there to be hypocrisy in our midst. My desire and my prayer today as we open God's word and as we walk through Matthew chapter 23, is that hypocrisy in our lives, your life, my life, would be exposed, and that by the grace of God, our hypocritical tendencies would be killed, destroyed, we would repent, that we would by God's grace, seek to rid ourselves of hypocrisy because, friends, all of us, all of us are sinners, therefore all of us are hypocrites. Listen, this is what I want you to do as you sit, as I sit and listen to this message today. I want you to think not about the person you think is glad that they're here because they need to hear this message. If that's already stirred up in your heart, Friend, that only exposes your hypocrisy. If you're thinking to yourself today, man, I'm glad so-and-so's here. He's preaching on hypocrisy. They're such a hypocrite. They need this. Friend, you need this. I need this. So don't you for a moment think that this is for the other person. Friend, this is for you. And this is for me. Because we need to be exposed so that we can walk in repentance. Matthew chapter 23 is, I didn't do this, this was God and the Holy Spirit, can be divided up into three sections. Verses 1 through 12, we see that the exposure of the hypocrisy is is present. Jesus is exposing the the hypocritical ways of the scribes and Pharisees. And then in verses 13 through 36, he clarifies and condemns their hypocrisy, only later in verses 13. 37 through 39 do we see Jesus then lament their hypocrisy. That's how the chapter is put together. We see it exposed, we see it clarified and condemned, and then we see Jesus lament over the foolish ways of the Pharisees. Let's walk through the text together. Number one, what I call hypocrisy exposed, verses 1 through 12. Let's read this together. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so practice and observe whatever they tell you, but not what they do, for they preach but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor honor at feast and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces, and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted in what would be Jesus' final public speech to the crowds and to the disciples, he would have ongoing conversation recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, but this is his final public speech and in public engagement, he now turns his attention to the crowds and more specifically to his disciples and he warns them one final time about the leadership that had been in place in Jerusalem. If there was ever a climax in the teaching ministry of Jesus, this was it. And Just think about the the tone of this text as we walk through it. As we hear how Jesus so pointedly and strongly confronts the, the, the Pharisees in their hypocrisy. And it was also, by the way, public. And it demonstrates the serious nature of the sin involved. Hypocrisy is not something the Lord will, will simply tolerate. I want us to see a couple of important aspects about the hypocrisy here. As he exposes it, notice, first of all, the roots of the hypocrisy. You see that here in verses 1 through 12, as he unfolds this passage before the people present. he, he Notice several things he says about the Pharisees. Number one, verse three, he says they do not practice what they say. In verse four, they place heavy burdens on people's shoulders, but, but when they see the people weighed down, they, they don't come to, to offer their assistance or their help. Verse five, they, they perform all their deeds to be seen by others. They, they're simply a show. Verse 6, in the rest of the section there, they crave honor and recognition. Friends, we see in in Matthew 23, verses 1 through 12, that the Pharisees were all about themselves. They were all about exalting themselves and making themselves look good, while internally and while separated from their public persona, they were filthy and wretched. They refused to submit to authority, although they claimed Moses' seat. They lacked integrity. They held others to a higher standard, but they would not live to that standard themselves. They lacked sympathy because when they would weigh people down with all of their laws and expectations, they would refuse to come along and help them when they were burdened. They lacked humility, simply wanting to be seen by others. These men were living in direct contrast to Jesus' own call to a life of service and humility. Friends, when you consider the sin of hypocrisy, hypocrisy is ultimately a heart problem. It's a heart problem because what happens in, in the sin of hypocrisy is, is hypocrisy feeds from pride and self centeredness. The Pharisees and scribes wanted to be seen as holy, they wanted to be elevated, they wanted to be exalted, when in fact they were not. It's a heart problem, but friend, you need to know that hypocrisy is an attractive thing. It's alluring. Because no one desires to be seen for who they truly are. I mean, if we could go back and play the recording of your week, examine your texts, Look at your messages. Even see the motive of your heart. Would you want that video played? No one wants to be seen for who they truly are. And there is a disconnect here because the heart of the Pharisees, the hearts of the scribes were anything but hearts pursuing Christ. There's a root problem. But notice also the fruits. And really you see that in the rest of this chapter as Jesus begins through these woes. Verse 13, but woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Some of your translations have verse 14 there or others have it as a footnote. Uh, It wasn't in some of the earliest, more accurate manuscripts, and so it's either one of the two places. But verse 15, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing, but if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? Scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up, then, the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? To say that this is a strong chapter is an understatement. Jesus has reserved some of his strongest rebuke and language for the scribes and the Pharisees as he unpacks the, the reasons now why they are facing divine judgment. Let's notice, the as we consider the woes here, let's, let's look at the fruit of the Pharisees' hypocrisy. And, and really what we're looking at here is what hypocrisy does. What it does in our life and in other people's lives. And it's, it's, a, it's a poison that, that causes all kinds of damage, and so just, just listen as Jesus reflects that and as he unpacks that for us. Number one, what, what hypocrisy does is it, it condemns. Verses 13 through 15, you see that, that the Pharisees, who were responsible to represent the kingdom of God, were, sh- they were shutting the doors to the kingdom of God. Through their teaching and through their conduct, they had led people down the wrong path, ultimately resulting in them and the people being shut out of the kingdom of heaven. Instead of teaching what the law clearly said, they had distorted the law and added to the law, thereby bringing condemnation instead of hope. And so now, as Jesus comes preaching the kingdom of God, they reject him, and therefore they keep the door to the kingdom shut for them and for their followers. J.C. Ryle said it this way about the hypocrite. He says, a hypocrite resembles an unskillful pilot. He does not perish alone. Think about the recent tragic events of Airlines and the one, was it in the French Alps that, that crashed where the pilot intentionally crashed the plane? His, his error did not only impact him. And here's the warning for, for you and for me. Here, here's the warning. Your version, stay with me, your version of Christianity will do one of two things. It will either lead people to the kingdom or it will shut people out of the kingdom. It will not leave them neutral. Your version, your, your understanding of the gospel and of Christ will either draw people to the kingdom or it will shut people out of the kingdom. This is why getting the gospel right matters. This is why people have died, been burned at the stake, been beheaded for the gospel. Because if you get the gospel wrong, then you will not only harm yourself, you will bring condemnation to others. And yes, I know we can talk about the responsibility of every individual. I get that every person is responsible for the gospel and will stand before the Lord and will be condemned based upon that. That's actually later on in the passage. We'll get to that. I'm just saying, you do much damage when you get the gospel wrong, because you shut the kingdom of God to yourself and to others. There are countless of individuals and groups that, under even the umbrella of Christianity, that are doing grave harm to people's souls. The prosperity gospel continues to do much to bring much damage to millions of people. Any kind of works based gospel. We see it in the Catholic Church, we see it in the Orthodox Church, we even see it in our Protestant churches. Do this, this, and this, and there you will be saved. The social gospel. We're just about bringing justice to to humanity through good works. And we must. But that's not the end. We will even change the clear teaching of the Bible to embrace and endorse culturally, culturally approved sin. Well, This is the way the culture is going. Therefore, we've got to sort of redevelop our scriptures to fit what the culture is saying. Thereby doing much damage to many people. Friend, when you, when you miss the gospel, you do much harm to yourself. And to others, hypocrisy condemns. But it also number two misguides. If you look at verses sixteen and following, notice Jesus calls them blind guides and fools. He's not messing around. This is not a pep talk. He's highlighting their ignorance to the truth. the, the issue here is related to oaths. Remember, we go back to Matthew chapter five where we dealt with with oaths. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. You don't need to swear by anything. Don't be going about swearing all the time on this or on that or on nothing in general. But Let your yes be yes and your no be no, but apparently the Pharisees had developed quite the system of oaths so that if you would swear by this or that, maybe not the temple but the material in the temple, maybe not the altar but just the gift on the altar or Vice versa, they had quite the elaborate system of oaths which, which would solidify people actually um, being untruthful. So if they would swear on this particular thing and yet in the end not mean it, they could sort of take it back because it wasn't binding. And they had quite the system. Jesus comes along and says, listen, you say that people swear on the gold? But is the temple not far greater than the gold? How can you claim the gold is more? The same with the altars. It's not the gift that makes the altar sacred. It's the altar that makes the gift sacred. And what Jesus is doing here wasn't so much to try and clarify their oath system. He was pointing out the inconsistencies in it. He was pointing out their faulty logic, but he was also condemning their approach to holiness. They had created a legalism, a legalistic set of rules of this and that through the practice of oaths, that that qualified holiness. And Jesus said, "It's, it's it's a train wreck. You're misguiding people that if they will do it this way or that way, God is pleased with them. Holiness isn't found in a legalistic set of rules or some distorted religious practice. Holiness is found elsewhere. It misguides. Hypocrisy misguides. They had come up with this elaborate system saying doing doing these things this way, but do you think for a minute they were practicing the the rules that they were seeking to enforce? Number three, it neglects. Verses 23 and 24, you see Jesus says to them, Woe, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint, dill, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. See, the Pharisees were guilty of inverting divine priorities. They had given themselves tediously to certain commands, especially those that could be measured, and yet they were entirely negligent of the more significant commands, the weightier matters of the law. Now we know that certain tithes were commanded in the Old Testament for many reasons, many for practical reasons. You can go to Leviticus 27, Deuteronomy 12, and 14 and see that for many of these tithes, they were supporting the priesthood, certain religious ceremonies and, and festivals, and even, even it, it, it served as a means of, of, uh, or a type of welfare to care for widows and orphans. So it had its place. Jesus is not saying, quit tithing. These you should have done. But what you did is you focused only on these things while neglecting all kinds of other responsibilities. He doesn't condemn their tithing, but he condemns their negligence. See, they would pride themselves on how much they had tithed and how much money they had raised. And they would glorify themselves based upon what they had done while overlooking the aspects of the law that called them to do ministry of compassion. We read in the prophet Micah, chapter 6, verse 8, he has told you, O oh man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. You see, what they had done is they had maximized the insignificant while minimizing the significance. Boy, we could go off for a whole sermon on that, couldn't we? How Christians and churches today will spend enormous amounts of times. Enormous amount of time being bogged down in all kinds of things, important things, good things, right things, but so much so that they neglect other important things. Churches that can be focused more on programs than people. Buildings. Projects than they are on ministry to people. Christians and churches can be often out of alignment. We can get so bogged down with with good things, important things, helpful things, that we neglect the more weighty the the, the weightier things, the the more significant things that impact people. As churches do this all the time. We we we're all sort of guilty of that at at times, and, and we can find ourselves neglecting that which is critical, neglect neglecting matters of justice, serving our fellow man. Reaching out and and seeking to make an impact into our community. Loving people well. We do this even with systems of theology. So bogged down in systems of theology that we neglect true ministry to people. Hypocrisy leads us to neglect. It also deceives verses 25 and following what to you scribes and pharisees hypocrites for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate but inside are full of greed and self-indulgence you blind pharisee first clean the inside of the cup and plate that the outside may also also be clean woe to you scribes and pharisees hypocrites for you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. These next two woes really are, are very similar. And he's talking about those who really put on a mask. They put on a mask. Outwardly appear righteous but, and pious, but internally are filled with greed and self-indulgence. He, he makes reference to, to uh, a whitewashed tomb, which was a, a, grave kind of, a grave site that was ornate and beautiful on its outside. But if you were to open that, full of dead people's bones. Friends, hypocrisy leads people to be more concerned with appearances than reality. marketing, right? You go to sell something, you polish it up. You clean it up. You want people to buy it. You want people to own it themselves. And so you do everything you can to present it flawless. We do the same things with ourselves. Outwardly appear righteous, but inwardly corrupt hypocrisy leads people to be more concerned with appearances than they do than they are with reality this is where you'll see christians christianity detached from a heart from the heart uh, given over christians given over to ritual and routine and religious habits without a true heart for the lord and listen Can I say this? There will be many a man and woman in hell with their Sunday school attendance pins and memory verse cards checked. What good are those things without a heart that has been truly transformed by the grace of God? I'm for attendance and memorization, by the way, just in case you were wondering. But it's deceptive. And and, and the thing you you have to see, friends, is is that this is so easy to see in other people. You can see a hypocrite a mile away, and you can nail them. You can say, look at that person. They're fake. They're phony. I really know them. I see them at school. I see them talking. I hear what they're saying. They come into church all clean and polished. And friend, right now you're thinking about someone else and quit thinking about someone else. You need to think about you. Because you do the very same thing. Be careful. Be careful in seeking to expose another person's hypocrisy before you're willing to expose your own hypocrisy. It deceives. It also undermines. Verses 29 through 32. The issue here, basically, is, is that the Pharisees had venerated the prophets by building elegant tombs and decorated them in, as glorious memorials, saying, had we been back in those days, we wouldn't have been with those that would have killed the prophets. And Jesus says, actually, you're the sons of those who killed the prophets. You would have done the same thing. In fact, they were about to do the very same thing when they killed Jesus. They were seeking to, in their minds, protect the law, but rather were undermining it. They were seeking to, to, in their minds, protect what they knew and thought was the truth, but rather were undermining it. They did this in many ways. That's hypocrisy exposed. But then you see hypocrisy condemned. And that's also found in verses 13 all the way down to verse 36. Woe after woe after woe after woe. A woe is a pronouncement of divine judgment. If you get a woe, it's not good. Right? It's not a good thing to have a woe pronounced against you. Especially from the lips of Jesus. A woe is a signal for pending judgment, it's a pronounced curse. And the Pharisees are being publicly cursed at this point for their hypocrisy. And then in verses 33 through 36, listen, he says, For you serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Justice is coming, judgment is coming. Therefore, I send you the prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town so that you so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of innocent Abel to the blood of Zechariah to the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation." Jesus is setting the stage for what would become the destruction of Jerusalem. That he will unpack a little bit more in the next chapter. He's taken great pains to say, listen, there will be no escape for your sin. In fact, this coming destruction will make plain that God does not withhold his judgment even on his holy city which is going to set the stage as a foreshadow of a greater judgment to come. If God will not spare his only his holy city friends, will he, do you think he will spare us? If God will act in judgments toward his own people and level the city and level the temple that was so central to his activity, then neither will he spare judgment from you and from me. From this passage is a sobering reminder. It's a sobering reminder for you and for me that God will not be put off and that he will not be so easily distracted by your and my trickery. Deception. You might have everyone around you fooled. Young people, you may have your parents fooled. You don't have God fooled for a minute. Adults, you may have your kids Fooled. Don't think you have God fooled for one second. Friend, remember, God will not be fooled. He knows you perfectly. There is one you will never deceive. And he's the one you will give account to. Do you ever think of that day that's yet to come? Remember, Martin Luther said there's two days on his calendar, today and that day. Do you ever live today in light of that day? Do you ever think about that day when you will stand before the living God and give account for your life? Do you ever think about that day? Do you ever contemplate what that day will reveal and how that day will go for you? friend? On that day, you will not be standing before the fallible judgment of your friends and family. But you will be standing before the infallible judgment of a holy and righteous God who will not tolerate sin. That day is coming. And you should think often of it and prepare for it. Because you and I on that day will be exposed. That's the day when all will be exposed for you. And so you have a deep interest today in having your hypocrisy exposed so that you can be rid of it in, anticip- in anticipation of that day. You have a real interest right now to hear what you're hearing. Not because I'm saying it. You have a deep interest to hear what Jesus is saying from Matthew 23-23. To have your own hypocrisy exposed so that you are prepared for that great and final day. The good news, friends, this is heavy stuff. It's not every day you hear Jesus talk this way. But the good news for you and for me, the good news for you and for me is is simple. is that Jesus died for hypocrites. He shed his blood on the cross for hypocrites, for the sin of hypocrisy, so that every deception and every means of trickery that you have devised in your deceptive heart, Jesus nailed it to the cross so that that will not cause you to stand guilty on that final day. But if you have understood that by the grace of God and you have yielded your life in faith, trusting in the complete perfection of Christ, knowing that it is His righteousness that covers you and it is His blood that was shed for your sin, that if you would trust in that and look to that and find your hope in that, you will stand on that day clothed and complete, presented to Christ, blameless. That is your hope. Hypocrisy will be condemned. Number three, hypocrisy lamented. As we conclude, I want you to see this, because this chapter is filled with strong, scathing rebuke. The terms Jesus used are very bold terms. This is not a model for you to go call people these names, by the way. Jesus wasn't a hypocrite. You are, and so am I. The full force of the justice of God is being brought to the forefront. And and yet, when you read all of this in the midst of all of this judgment language and woe language and and calling them children of hell, you see that perfect divine balance of justice and righteousness and love and compassion. Verse thirty seven. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered you children, your children together, as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. I loved you, Jerusalem. I care for you. I long would have have loved to have you come to me, but you would not. See, your house has left you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. See, Jesus came into Jerusalem, and they, they said that about him, quoting Psalm 118. But there's coming a day when he will come again, in a greater triumphal entry. I love what Lick Duncan said about this passage. He said, here is a picture of your God never to forget. The Lord Jesus stands in the temple precinct. He has, and in no certain terms, just condemned the religious leaders of his people. The most highly respected religious leaders of the land he has denounced as hypocrites. And with those denunciations still ringing in the ears of the crowd, he begins to openly express his heart, his broken heart, for the very people he has just condemned. His heart is breaking for those hypocrites and for the crowds around him who in a matter of hours will be crying, crucify him, crucify him. His heart is breaking for those whom he has labeled hypocrites and those who will soon put him to death. Friends, Jesus takes no delight in judging the unrepentant. If you think for a moment that Jesus condemns people with a smile on his face, you've got the wrong Jesus. And notice where he places the blame. How often would I have gathered your children together as the hen gathers her brood under her wings? And you would not. They have no one to blame but themselves. Friend, when a man does not turn to Christ in faith, it is never the fault of God. But the fault of his own stubborn, unbelieving heart. To quote J.C. Raw, he said, Let us understand that the ruin of those who are lost is not because Christ was not willing to save them, nor yet because they wanted to be saved but could not, but because they would not come to Christ. When you stand before God to give accounts of your life, there will be only one person to blame for your condemnation if that's what you receive, and that is you. Friends, hypocrisy is a result of the condition we all have called sin. Some of us are better at it than others. The only difference is that some are pained by their hypocrisy and they loathe it and they repent. But there are others who are satisfied with it. Because after all, it's easier. It's not an easy thing to own up to your sin. And friend, there's coming a day when Jesus will come again. And on that day, every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of the Father, either in joy and worship or in sorrow. Friends, in life, there are many examples where you can see a divergence between appearance and reality. The examples are many. But hear this, by God's grace, let those examples not include you. And that is only possible by the grace of God found in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, we, we hear your word. It's a weighty word. It's a, it's a weighty word, Lord. It's a powerful word. It's a heavy word. But Lord, it's a word that we need to hear. It's a, it's a word that we need to hear, Lord, ourselves. God, would you forbid that we would not look to our own hearts today as we hear the truth of your word? Father, I pray for this church. God, that we would be a church where, where hypocrisy is regularly being exposed in our hearts and lives and repentance is, is the norm. That we would be a congregation of individual people fighting to rid ourselves of hypocrisy. That we would be a corporate witness in this community fighting to rid ourselves of, of hypocrisy. That we would be transparent. And That we would know that only through repentance will you be pleased. So Father, would you search our hearts? Would you, would you expose us? Lord, help us, not just, help us not to see others this morning. Help us not to see others that we see hypocritical tendencies in. But Lord, examine our own hearts. Call us to repentance, Lord. Call us to see what we need to see and hear what we need to hear. Lead us to repentance. Father, our hearts are yours. So would you move in them? Would you you do the work that only you can do? Would you give us sight? Would you give us understanding? Would you lead us to repent in a way that would bring you much glory and that would cause much fruit to be born in our lives? God, we need you and we need your help. So Lord, come now and lead us to respond to you. I pray this in Jesus' name.